Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hey, welcome back to Evidence-Based Therapist, where in 2023, we read... So, so you, you don't, don't have, have to. to. And if you would like, we will gladly send you the reading list. You should um, read along. You should read along. You could. Be a participant. You could read along. Ask us questions. Stay curious. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're going to read. Yeah, that's happening. <laughs> yeah. It's basically so what this we'll read for you. podcast is about. Yeah. We're reading and thinking and digesting and... Always questioning. Always questioning. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a side, this is a side note. One of the things I said I loved about science, because my partner and I were on a weird YouTube rabbit hole around uh, physics and oh. like the, I forget what it is, like the nine elements, the standard equation. Oh, yeah. And like the, the elements of the universe and That's one thing. That's a pretty sick rabbit hole. Yeah. To oh, get yeah. Down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and she was like drawing out graphs on paper while we were watching it. And um, one of the things that the scientist said was that basically they're trying to find, he was like, the standard equation, though it's like the most beautiful equation that we have, it's too clean. He was like, we're intentionally trying to break it mm. so that we find where it fails so that we can continue in developing something more beautiful. And I was like, that, I've, that is what I love about science. It's yeah. this like willingness to go into what is like, what doesn't make sense and to willfully try to make that a reality so yeah. that you can hold it, observe it, look at it and like develop further. Yeah. Um, that ability to always question. Did SIP come to your mind when you were? Because I, don't, I don't think in that moment, but. Well, Why did it come up for you? Because I feel like that's what really like the theory development process at Beyond has at its core. Mm. You know, if you think about the simplest equation, sometimes we talk about emotional math and even how we understand attachment and the evolution of the human self being so relationally contingent independent and facilitative i feel like that's what we do a lot is we try to mm. see areas that don't make sense and apply some of these initial formulations and then yeah. in that process depending on how well conceptualized the result becomes we see gaps mm. in our understanding and also in you know what then resources we can use or explore to yeah help inform that yeah yeah in that way i think um beyond an sip definitely holds the i feel like what i tell people is like we hold the fundamental belief or faith that it everything makes sense yeah it just may not right now i so love like, that can we be open to to seeing if it could yeah. and believing that it will but yeah. being open to that yeah. process and at in trainings and consultations and I mean just work as a therapist in general is consistently like coming to a place of being like oh I don't know yeah like this doesn't make sense to me and that being a place of like deep interest and also like there's a lot of attunement and connection that needs to be there <laughs> yeah but deep interest of like oh this is interesting or this is fascinating it's it's new it doesn't make sense yeah mm -hmm. I'm thinking right now about what that feels like to the listeners to be said. Hmm. Because I feel that between you and I, it resonates so naturally. And it, just thinking about different training experiences that we've had, that feels like the very point of flailing hmm. sometimes for clinicians oh yeah but yeah i don't know mm -hmm. so what am i doing in this room yeah which i think is yeah that's where i'm i don't want that statement to come across as like 
emotional bypassing Mm -hmm. because it is like a moment of deep terror and needs a lot of safety and connection and groundedness and um, emotional relate relationships there in that space Um, and at the same time it can be a very beautiful zone to to approximate into yeah um yeah it's funny we we jumped right into (laughs) didn't even intro this episode uh we just jumped right into the depth of we're still (laughs) in the parentheses of the (laughs) intro oh yeah it doesn't feel like we can end it yet though (laughs) um welcome to your potential flailing (laughs) as a therapist person who's in interested in healing and uh researcher uh we don't find this place scary no well we do and that's okay maybe scary maybe. isn't scary yeah or yeah and uncomfortable doesn't mean intolerable love that different spectrum yeah and the parenthetical <laughs> bracket <laughs> period closed. Uh, now we would like to start the episode (laughs) (laughs) with a little bit of a new, new, uh, feel to it. We are not in our usual studio. No, we're We're, in your living room. We're sitting in my living room on my couch. Yeah. Um, Recorder's just on the table here. The the nice mahogany coffee table. (laughs) It's beautiful. Um, I don't know if it's actually mahogany, but (laughs) felt right to say. (laughs) That's the aesthetic of sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The dark mahogany yeah it's nice Um, the window's cracked so you might hear a rustling of the january bare limb breeze bare limb and 50 degree breeze which is a gift a gift a true gift and it's gray outside another gift another gift (laughs) for us light-skinned fair-skinned people who burn easily yes and don't like to be hot (laughs) yeah oh yeah that too (laughs) although i'm always hot yeah that's the truth which is why it's necessary for it to be <laughs> not 90. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we don't really have the most official desire or, or outline for agenda. today's episode, but it felt like many things were happening in our lives that beg a moment of just reflection. Yeah. One is the new year. Two is like, different academic and professional like ventures moving forward. Um, not that we're going anywhere, but like no, no. we're hitting milestones. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I like how you said also, I think before we started recording, uh, you know, we have the, the space of mind of a therapist and maybe for EBT, like the mind of a researcher mm. and what, it means to have evolution in your personal and professional mm. intersections and for that to now be included in your various pursuits. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you don't do anything for nothing. You don't do the spoiler. So like, yeah, maybe today's episode is what what personal and experiential things happening in our lives are making us curious about the things we're curious about Um, i love that yeah yeah that seems good because obviously the listeners hopefully know this is our lit review of research so far has a tremendous amount of filtering (laughs) based on our own personal interest (laughs) which it always like that's one thing about lit reviews it always will it's real it always that's a dynamic that is a part of it yeah you can't synthesize all of research yeah well you can but in some way you're not still yeah um yeah 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 oh that's interesting that you, when you just said that it brought up different different procedures for um conducting systematic reviews of expansive literature hmm. and like i did one um now almost a year ago where I think you remember this, there was something like 20,000. Oh, yeah. 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 And how bracketed and rigid the procedure must be to claim any type of validity, Mm. you know, in that you're also just to what you were mentioning, you're also not 
synthesizing it because mm-hmm. of the rigidity of the structure you impose on it to make sense of that mass amount of mm-hmm. of information. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll lay my cards down. Oh, I love that. As one topic that I think could be interesting to explore that we've already kind of touched on is the uh, burgeoning field of artificial intelligence. Oh, let's just like in the <laughs> the mass chaos that that is bringing in the world of research and academia and clinical practice and uh, humanity. Humanity's struggling with that too. <laughs> I think it poses a lot of troubling conundrums for us as humans. Yeah. So for I guess problems. I guess if listeners haven't uh, been on Twitter recently, <laughs> um, which I also haven't, but I just got back on, so this is probably why I'm so jacked on it. It's my first bit of retweeting that I've done in like ten years. Oh man. Um, there, there's this program called chat gpt yep um that is an artificial intelligence that can produce written works and my understanding is that this and i could be totally wrong that this artificial intelligence has like one of the most vast database access access to the one of the most um (coughs) series of databases possible so then it's like really precise in some yeah, ways very um, at least allegedly thorough in its yeah product yeah yeah and when i saw therapists and researchers on twitter having a nice uh, chat <laughs> twitter about chat yeah which twitter chat is always in some way it has like elements of sarcasm and irony which is yeah. funny but it's also very serious yeah um they were talking about the potential for artificial intelligence to write progress notes so to be a way of tracking sessions yeah and creating treatment plans so those being in the clinical world in the um, therapeutic practice world the potential for ai to be the next thing that is used as like what maybe a capitalistic industrial western civilization uses is like a quicker way to more precise therapy yeah so the the idea that you can use this chat GPT AI to then therapy, therapeutically intervene with people because it has access to treatment plans about you know different breathing theoretically um, the most like interventions diverse and, intervention yeah, approaches body scans uh, published to the web yeah <laughs> OCD treatment plans like you name it it kind of has access to it yeah and um, people who are really wrestling with like it's going to be the thing that takes our jobs or let's talk about this is something we didn't talk about because we mentioned this before we started recording that we were talking about chat gpt but what just came to my mind is how exploitative of the wishfulness of our pain and affect avoidant culture to be able to input your symptoms and to have spit out at you a that one of the most thorough searches, you know, scouring of yeah. the various publications for a treatment plan that will fit your presentation. Yeah. Like how exploitative of that wish to just have a fix. Yeah. Yeah. To, to say, um, cause one of the examples was, um, a therapist said, create a treatment plan from a psychodynamic perspective for someone who's struggling with anxiety who has um, experience with uh, breathing techniques. And it created a treatment plan that was like, you know, first week we're going to work on these resources. Second week we're going to check in with the success and then shift if we need to to these other plan B resources and like created this whole thing. And the therapist was like, is this going to give people like a sense of autonomy to say like i can just tap it type in my diagnosis i don't need get a treatment plan and just start doing it myself yeah and uh, yeah i think that is exploitative of the wish to feel better on your Um, own to self-regulate yeah 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 and it and again i'm not talking about because to me this rubs up with like well what's the difference between that and like a, a therapist going to one of their mentors and saying, I have a client that's 
experiencing all of this and like what would you do mm. and like don't, you know going into that consultation space i'm not at all trying to discourage information gathering and you know putting together a synthesis of all that you have access to at that point to help the people in, that you're that you're working with but i'm questioning the underlying and almost unconsciously you know taken on mm-hmm. implications yeah of that behavior totally <laughs> and series yeah. of practices yeah and to put it very practically for like ebt i would be very interested to review articles that look at the failure of self-help apps this is interesting you and, were mentioning that before we started yeah. recording like can you explain what well, you were thinking through in that yeah some of these um researchers in these uh discussion threads were quoting research that is looking and identifying um self-help apps so um there's different like mindfulness ones there's different um ones from different spiritual traditions different forms of therapy self-help cbt therapy yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and across the board if a person is just using that intervention statistically they don't show any signs of progress yeah Um, they may show like kind of uh, sporadic not even always at the start but different sporad- sporadic moments of doing better but then there's a recidivism there yeah reporting um, that they're doing better yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and to me it's fascinating you know if we're so much of what we're talking about with you know the importance of relationships and the f- structure and function of the brain and how that gives way to an emergent mind how do we make sense more and more of what the missing component is if it's not information? Mm-hmm. Because information, these self-help apps, these uh, the ability to get your quote-unquote own treatment plan without the intervention of any human, um, why might not that be healing us yeah. as humans? And from a relational sciences perspective, like how do Which we... Which therapy is a like a major part of like, very just much. to ground yes, like yeah. that in. yeah if you did not know as a therapist that you were within the world of relational sciences, sciences now you know that is your umbrella <laughs> the crux of the success <laughs> of therapy is based on the relationship yeah, what is that exactly. uh norcross yeah um, yeah, yeah so <laughs> shout out to norcross never to did norcross. i think we would- <laughs> That's a good... That is a deep cut Yeah, right there. that is a deep cut. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's Psych 101 in undergrad. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not Porchaska, but it's... But that's another Norcross one. and... Uh, who else is? Who else does that meta-analytic work? Um, well, and that's an anthology. Norcross is the editor. Okay, okay. okay. But, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... Yeah. But Norcross and Porchaska have a book together. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Um, but yes, so the idea, how do we make sense of what is like a fundamental component in the healing process if it is not just information, uh, this idea of ideas shared in non-relational ways? Yeah. Um, why doesn't that heal us if, you know... Because I think you could look at even what we've talked about from Koziol and from memory reconsolidation, that the thing that our minds need is shifted templates and emotional learnings. Well, I think like the whole of our lit review, I mean, I think that's what we're like supporting. We yeah. need that shift, which necessitates an understanding of our current template mm-hmm. and what implications it has yeah. for our sense of self and other and the relationship between. Yeah. And why that can't just be information, like reinformed, um, abstract, like high cognitive information reformed. It has, there has to be a a relational embeddedness to this information exchange. Across time. Yeah. Which is such a fascinating, I mean, I feel like that's what we're so jacked on is understanding how one, why relationships matter so much, both like like theoretically and like clinically neuropsychologically. Yeah. I'm, I think we're also very interested in understanding how often we don't relationally connect, like how two people can sit in the same room for an hour, multiple weeks 
and only be interacting, not connecting. Mm -hmm. And that that will impact whether or not the information shared really connects in a healing way or not. I think one of the critical pieces to successful psychotherapy is its generalization to quote unquote real life. Like the taking it out of the room. And that's one of the pieces that I feel like, again, is exploited by this wish fulfillment in an AI-based, evidence-based treatment because it's dependent on the input of self-report data. Mm-hmm. And you'll like look across any of our evidence-based treatments, that is a problem when assessing validity and reliability in mm-hmm. research methodology. But one of the problems is that that wish fulfillment will be so compelling hmm. because it is a wish. Like it's so yeah. strong yeah. to say, oh, barriers were just destroyed by this emergence of AI-based EBTs. Like now you can type it into your phone and get a super thoroughly researched treatment plan made just for you and you can then put that into some app that's going to track your progress and show it right back to you that you can integrate with neurofeedback and all of this stuff like make it as souped up as possible yeah it still is you and you alone Mm -hmm. yeah implementing it processing through it and trying to go into your life and change it Mm -hmm. so that to me is like you're not talking about therapy anymore Mm in the true definition of relational neuroscience. You're not talking about therapy. Yeah. 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 And yeah, at the same time, understanding in what conditions that would work and how do we make sense of that? It would work as in helping someone feel more integrated. Yeah. You know, I'm sure like the beauty of science is that there would be an exception. Yeah. That actually the AI created template for healing would work for someone mm-hmm. how the hell do we understand that <laughs> yeah then? okay so like let's get beyond like maybe some things are missing like then how do we understand the intrapsychic and neurobiological ne- necessities for someone to find healing from something like an ai generated treatment plan yeah and again i love that you bring back up the conversation we were having about science in general because what we're not doing is saying it wouldn't work. Mm. You can't say that about anything, really. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's too many, there's too many variables that might be involved in a person's process that could find something like that helpful. It's inarguable. But again, which this is so interesting as we continue to have this conversation, I feel like what it does is it strays away, like it it hides the true implications and conundrums happening below the surface Mm. and just says, no, just look at the outcome. Don't look at the process, look at the outcome. Mm -hmm. And then based on that outcome, we should favor it, which is again, our problem with EBTs as a whole, when you measure it at eight weeks, a bunch of stuff is going to find F, you know, efficacious outcomes. But is that really the thing? Like, is that what we should be yeah focused on yeah is that a collusion or an augmentation of strategies call back to crittenden Crittenden. or a genuine um, change reconsolidation of networks yeah um hmm. yeah so you were talking about uh some of the more pragmatic uses of this ai for progress notes yeah yeah, so there are some interesting, <laughs> and I, I get, having worked in an agency setting, I, I can understand the feeling of some of these clinicians where there's some people talking about from the perspective of being what a therapist has to hold mm-hmm. as far as workload, an AI-generated progress note that is approved and exactly what insurance companies want for reimbursement purposes AI treat like treatment notes and progress notes may be really helpful in relieving weight off the of, burden. Yeah, the of burden someone who's already 
of a therapist who is billing insurance and within an agency setting who's having to see 40 plus clients and do paperwork. Yeah, where you, you could know. say to that AI machine, I'm using X, Y, and Z treatment with this presentation. This is the session number. Go. Yeah, yeah. And one of them was a um, progress note that included a review of past. So this thing could track past um, progress notes. So they made a couple. It it brought back some information from past progress notes, talked about in this session, and you could see what the clinician typed. And it was like, from a psychodynamic lens, we worked on uh, emotional regulation and uh, identifying maybe fears or something. There's some sort of identification. And so it did a past session review, current session review, future session projection plan that had interventions and um, smart goals, like ways to track. Um, and it was like, that's a really well-written note. Like when I was that being trained, like, yeah, I mean, that took him writing in a sentence of what he or they uh, did in a session, hypothetically, and it produced a note. Yeah. And like Copy and paste. A, a damn good note. Like <laughs> when I was being trained on how to write notes, that was like, Probably an A plus, yeah. and because it had the smarkles, it had the tracking of sessions across time. Like it, it did it all. Included and, the treatment. And there's like a part of me that is open to, okay, that does relieve the pressure of being a clinician and, you know, producing tremendous amounts of, um, note taking and you know, essentially like proving that you deserve to be reimbursed. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm like thinking like, like, what are the short sides? Yeah. 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 The, the, the short sides are like, is that really the problem? Or is the problem that as therapists we're being asked to do too much and report quote unquote, like I understand reimbursement purposes and the need to detail, but that is not one of the only functions of, a progress note like so much of our time conceptualizing is spent in writing progress notes yeah which i i so appreciate you bringing up conceptualization because i think you know the potential shadow side of that is that people therapists stop conceptualizing cases they stop understanding yeah they stop being curious they just rely on the this is the process to get through my days and and maybe there is some really beautiful reorientation to the here and now in the room, which could again be a positive. But you know, for us, we're so um, so uh, like gripped and passionate about therapists, not only learning that they are, whether they realize it or not, conceptualizing their cases, mm-hmm. but that they can do that in a way that helps them not feel the impact of burnout, feel lost, uh, lost without any answers um, can feel grounded and present in sessions. Mm-hmm. I think a chat GPT progress note writing does solve the overworking of what maybe insurance companies or agencies require. And at the same time may numb clinicians to the yeah. beauty of case conceptualization. And something that was just coming to my mind, I mean, you could use chat GPT for case conceptualization. To some degree. Oh, easily. Like, from a psychodynamic lens, explain the origin of anxiety. And it would I just haven't like, seen any of those, but <laughs> yeah. that would be a fascinating... Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to put together some incredible ideas mm-hmm. because that question has a lot of answers. And you can detail it just like that. But again, and this is what we were talking about when we were into the academic implications of, or the educational implications of chat GPT as an epoch of reality that we're in now, but it stops you from learning the answer to those questions yeah. rather than getting an answer to those questions. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just can't say enough about that. Yeah. Well, uh, what was coming to my mind is like, what really matters in our process of being human? And, you know, many ways to answer that my answer feels like it's it would take i'm trying not to preface it for like 12 minutes but like what matters in our process is what is mattering in our bodies and brains like 
physically, like yeah. neurons and biochemical experiences or interactions and like our need to arduously process through something in quote-unquote work that we don't understand that we yeah that, that feels mysterious is the way we become who we are from conception just say it and it's like a it's a necessary (laughs) dynamic in human growth and development and if we're relying too much on ai technologies which again i'm not saying that it's not rife with potential yeah it is Um, but we could miss ourselves in that and start to become like physic physically and mentally like soft yes because we're not going through the the rhythms of you know writing a 10 page paper that i really don't want to write and also I'm a little frustrated with yeah. because things don't feel like they're quite coming together, but it's in the process of mining and refining that, oh, okay. Yeah. You learn and you grow and you develop. Yeah. So, okay. Just to kind of circle around to see if there's more we want to talk about from the therapy side. We've talked about the consequences or potential implications for evidence-based treatments created from AI mm-hmm. and what that could look like in the therapy space and the cultural space for people seeking treatment. Mm -hmm. We've talked about some of the professional development implications for healers and therapists that might try and use chat GPT or AI based um, assistance. Is there anything else that's coming to your mind? Yes. (laughs) The, the one thing that, uh, it might be a little touchy. It might like be a little spice. touchy. It might be spicy. It's like a it's like a four star at least. I like it. Is um some ideas around it being more affordable and therefore more accessible yeah. to certain decreasing barriers. Yeah, yeah. Decreasing barrier to treatment. And oh, I'm so for that. Yeah. If I had it my way, nobody would actually pay me. I'd be paid by I don't know, state taxes or something. Yeah. Like, but then I'd have to do the 50 million progress note. So 50 million billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and still be underpaid. Yeah. Drastically. Yeah. But that's my desire is that we would. And I, so I see the, I definitely see the desire there to make therapy more accessible. And I wonder if we're selling, if, you know, this is like maybe what I would, tell a client it's like we could do that quick fix and it would it would probably have some initial like groundedness to it and maybe it develops into something that produces long-term good or health i have a gut feeling that if we just stayed here a little longer and could hold space for a harder and deeper solution yeah then we might be better off in the future. And neurobiologically, those are the types of commitments that lead to long-term potentiation and change. Mm-hmm. The quick reactions, that's not... Disintegration. We're social mammals. Like That doesn't do anything but satisfy the moment. Mm-hmm. It has no prolonged effect. Yeah. We need consistency. We need that consistent, hard, and deep pressure in a relational environment to lead to any long-term potentiation mm-hmm. and change. Yeah. Yeah. Polyvagal comes into my mind. Totally. Yeah, behaviorism, like yeah. all kinds of uh, the sciences that we've, that our field is built on would say that's absurd mm-hmm. to give one simple answer. And now you're good. Like go, mm-hmm. go on your way. Yeah. It reminds me of the psychoanalytic, uh, like Freud talking about how you don't need to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, wild psychoanalysis paper yeah 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 it's not the knowledge that you're missing yeah it's this sitting with the tension of desires Um, and that is completely nullified in the ai based yeah (laughs) yeah you know to me it's like if we're talking about barriers to treatment i think it's just me and i know this is spicy so 
forewarning. Get and, your oven mitts on. Yeah, it's and, hot. yeah. <laughs> please, yeah. Get your oven mitts on, and please uh, keep listening to some of our later reviews if you disagree with That's this right. point. But I think we need to start addressing the industrialization and capitalization of mental health. Thinking of like Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal, as like a potential wave that the cultural milieu could ride. Yeah. Which is let's rework the system in a way that is more it's gonna be fucking hard, but it's more oriented towards true, honest integration and healing. Yeah. That is accessible for more, if not all, populations instead of settling for like a, well, therapy costs too much because of a system that is forcing clinicians to have to charge enough to get paid to have a living. So it, the burden is on the consumers yeah. um, instead oh. of it, instead of it shifting to like the burden is on like the collective to help in ways that are either seen or unseen for us all to have access to mental health. Yeah. And you think, <laughs> you think these AI based intervention approaches are going to be free? <laughs> like. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting <laughs> no. like assumption. Like, yeah, no, no like, way. I mean, again, to the capitalist culture, like yeah, in the immediate, I think it would lower, it would lower the barriers to treatment. But where there is efficiency, yeah, there is some serious opportunity for investment. Yeah, and money will find its way in. Yeah, and then jack up the. Like oh, so, let's no. just like carry this out a little bit because this is a little bit of chaos. Theory. The fourteen ninety nine extended pack. Yes, uh, I <laughs> hate that idea because our culture has become so invested in that we've stopped training therapists to do the real work, and now we are completely without direction. Yeah, I know that's chaos and like <laughs> doomsday, doomsday, like <laughs> dystopia. But I'm just saying. It's possible, like, okay? It leads us in a dark and direction. And as therapists, we need to be open to, you know, braving those waters and saying. And having those hard conversations. Yeah, staying curious about the research and what does this actually say? And before we start making decisions, can we sit yeah. with it? Um, so that's my curiosity. That's where I'm, that's where I found myself being curious in the last, like, couple weeks. Because we've had a little bit over a month yeah. off. And we'll go back to... Coziel, our good friends, Coziel at all, and do some stuff with Pick um, back up on our diagnostic frameworks, diagnostic frameworks, and and different things like that. But yeah, I think it's it's good to also give listeners a, a window into as the mind of clinicians and researchers, and just the fact that we're two humans surrounded what, by reality. Around what us. stokes our curiosity that is also super integrated into why we're why we're fascinated and curious about reading the things that we're curious about yeah and i'll say for me the the chat gpt ai conversation you know matters a lot in some of its implications for the educational and academic Mm. side of our society um you know, because for me, as a professor and as somebody who is actively involved in academic publication, this is a big concern. You know, this questions, this has led to the overhaul of so much of our editorial responsibilities and also our mentoring responsibilities from a plagiarism standpoint with student work. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were you and I were talking about this before we started recording that there's been sort of a back and forth <laughs> uh, dynamic of okay, student could use Chat GPT to write a paper. Now there's a large investment in energy to create editing and plagiarism detecting software that can track Chat GPT, which puts you in a as a professor in such a weird <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, just like imagine that for a second. <laughs> like, I'm committed to a student's development for however long I have them. And a paper is submitted that my dashboard 
highlights as being plagiarism through chat GPT. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now we're faced with a really hard conversation that will find the student guilty of plagiarism, which is a terrible offense. Yeah, serious. Yeah, Very can serious. get you kicked out of school. Yeah. Um, if not failing the class. Um, but also, again, that's just the immediate implications of such an offense or such a, such a process. You're also then left to the really hard developmental conversation about what implications this might have for the educational posture of the student. And again, I've been in school for 25 years. Like I understand the frustrations around meaningless assignments and papers that you don't want to write and mm -hmm. all of this stuff. But one of the questions that you and I asked of each other before we started recording is like, why are you here? If you're going to put time, resources, energy, et cetera, into signing up for school and going through it, and then you're going to use chat GPT to write a paper, like, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Because this tells me that you don't understand what education is about. Yeah. Which I think is a super important pedagogical or teaching template of understanding like what education is it's not a i think we all in the western hemisphere at least have this posture towards education is like it is a barrier to my success yeah it is the thing that could keep me from getting what i want at least like a door like yeah it is it, it it's something that i have to go through to get from where i am now to somewhere else. yeah it's more of an obstacle course yeah. yes and there's no I think there's very little attention paid to the the value of learning different moves to be in your body to, to get through the obstacle yeah, course, yes. not to get to the end and um, be like, cool, I'm on the other side now. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned before we started recording the, the idea of mentoring a student. Yeah. And the just postural um, form you take towards students of like, I'm here to help you get to the place where things don't make sense and then help you through that. Yes. That so is that you can make sense of things that don't more. make sense later. Yeah. 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 That is a posture that I think I would be very curious how many students yeah. going to college say like that is the posture I either expect or like feel is in this space between student and teacher. Well, and that's what I think the true gravity of this chat GPT emergence represents is like, we are now messing with that fabric of our identity as a species mm -hmm. that we help each other through things that don't make sense so that we can go on to make sense of things that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like to tap in by a forfeit of this is too hard, I don't want to do it. So I'm going to tap into this AI-based super cognition that now is going to tell me the right answers to fulfill the rubric requirements and pass the course. And now you get to go on further? What implications does that have for now an entire generation that has used that style of education progress? That to me... Yeah. I mean, I this just is, cannot. Yeah, this is the this is just from a almost um like, like I I feel like we're talking about the matrix right now. The <laughs> like, matrix and we also sound like old I know. old people. <laughs> like and nothing against old people. <laughs> because I feel with you in this space. I am not I'm not an old millennial. I'm not super divorced from this Gen Z or Gen Alpha. And at the same time, like very quickly, I sound like I'm 60 years older. Yeah. And I'm in a space of like, oh, these kids these days, they don't, <laughs> That's not they don't know how to <laughs> rough through <laughs> the progress and process. And, and it, but it's like, in some way, Back yes. Back in my day. <laughs> yeah. Back in my day, we, I wrote the damn paper. <laughs> I just fucking wrote it. <laughs> and, 
Did I get up at 6 a.m. and was I at the coffee shop at 7 a.m. writing until I went to work? And then did I stay up late and do the same thing? Yes. yes. Am and I I'm, trying to and like... I'm better for it. <laughs> that's like the feeling is like, am I, am I seeking positive attention from that? Like I don't... Maybe. <laughs> maybe part of me is. If you have I, I still do want recognition for that. But um, part of it, I think, is like, you know, it does sound just like old old mentality yeah old in the way of like not being okay with the change of time yes and at the same time i think there's a tremendous amount of like wisdom we can learn from traditions outside of therapy too that have connection to their lineage yeah to me it is a heralding back to some of the finest elements of our species. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if this is, if ChatGPT is going to be the thing that, if it has any sort of revolutionary quality quality to it, I hope that it's a revolution back to human-to-human connection to see the importance of it. And that's where so I think... It's so hard for me to see that. <laughs> yeah, in. yeah. It yeah. just is. And maybe that is, again, like this, we need to come up with a different word than old. But, like, maybe that is Pessimistic. part of, yeah, but, like that skeptic. Yeah. But it just feels disembodied to me. Mm. And I don't see how that could lead to what has, in my perspective, made some of the most beautiful parts of humanity, which is, this is hard and... I need to reach out and hold your hand mm-hmm. and ask like that we work on it together. Yeah. yeah. It's reaching your hand into a void of ones and zeros to do what? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Which is yeah, a whole nother. Cause I feel like it's, it's that what you were saying about the ones and zeros made me think of uh, if you've ever read, an author like read lots of works from an author you can start to feel the edges of their experience emerge yeah and they no longer become a champion of an ultimate truth but you often find that they don't know yeah and they per- they were proposing in a theory something that made sense like Fran- francine shapiro is someone in the emdr world that if you were to just take level one training or just would, read her books or her, just her books well not even maybe you read one of her books you okay. just read emdr yeah uh, principles and theory yeah. yeah maybe you just read getting past your past okay that one. yeah it's kind of like more lay person the i think the feeling would be like this person knows an ultimate truth and so then there's a sort of like one or zero quality to it yeah. But then if you start to read all of Francine Shapiro's work, both like articles and books, and then you start interacting with the people and authors that she's referencing, you start to realize that people really don't have this grasp on an ultimate truth. They have a posture or perspective towards a truth. Mm. And and I think the, that almost like ancestral relationship is super critical. Like, I've been reading Freud so much. And for for me, like people's perspective of Freud is like he's just a bigoted human who thought he knew everything and he didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. And it's true. He was definitely restricted to his time in many ways. He's also very open in his writings about being wrong and being open to being pro- disproved. And he does on many occasions. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and talks about that as a process of understand yeah like as coming to know and that feels totally different to me than reaching into i love the picture reaching into the void of ones and zeros the binary getting abstract (laughs) information that feels like absolute or ultimate truth because it's spoken in that voice in the ones or zeros in the positive or neutral Mm -hmm. neutral and it just feels different it it again feels disembodied unrelational yeah Um, and if you look at what again if we're talking i Sorry. I love talking about this from a wish fulfillment standpoint because what that tells me 
in the human biology that finds success in fulfilling a wish is that they're going to invest more in that, you know, it, regardless of where that investment might take them. So if I find something that's a quick fix, I'm going to choose it more than I am the way that takes longer mm. without questioning what implications that might bring about. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem to mm. me. Like, I think it's going to be great for a time and then terrible for a time and then whatever. <laughs> but one of the things that I think are on the deeply concerning side of the spectrum are what is unconsciously purchased in the investment of future energy mm -hmm. to create more of it. Yeah, what shadow are we creating? Yes. Yeah. Because it will dwarf and consume us, mm -hmm. leaving us so ill-prepared on mm -hmm. the other side. I just don't know how we can... I don't know. I'm open. Yeah. It's just hard for me to see. Yeah. And deeply concerning in my immediate reality because I have to now reevaluate every student's integrity and that's hard. Yeah. Puts you in a, in a tough space. Yeah. As an educator. Yeah. Who's invested in the development of students' yeah. learning and their overall character as, mm -hmm. you know, members of my field. Yeah. Yeah. The small, what feel like unconscious fragmentations of relational safety. Yeah. Even in a space of thinking like, okay, who in this classroom is actually going through this, the processes of mining and mentorship yeah. versus who's chat, chat GPT in it. Yeah. Cause I mean the way, I mean, it's just from my own experiences. So the way, you know, if you use any type of learning management software for feedback and assignment submission, there is some built in, software of some kind that is going to assess the plagiarism degree mm. of that submission. You know, there's so many different ones out there depending on what you're using. And the the point of that from a feedback standpoint is to look at how much of this is original to the author of the student and how much of this is, you know, plagiarized, copy and pasted. Mm -hmm. And usually there's between like three to 18 percent that shows up on that report mm. and that's usually because the citations you know are present somewhere else in that exact form and so if the paper is graded with that and there's like 18 percent plagiarism and you look at what parts of the paper are quote-unquote plagiarized it's usually the references list because those references obviously would appear just in that form yeah in a bunch else. of other places yeah, yeah. but when it shows up in the body of the text that's when you have to start being concerned even if it's like four percent mm. because that means that a sentence has been copy and pasted from somewhere else and put into the paper mm. so you as an educator now have a, a decision to make is this something that i need to talk to them about or does it make sense that okay maybe this is a quote and they just forgot to put brackets on it and for or forgot to put quotation marks or whatever yeah. like that makes sense if chat gpt is included in that plagiarism detection software even if one percent shows up now i have to have that same decision made this tells me that they used a chat gpt software and it's only one percent but that they used it mm. how do i now as an educator feel about that mm. Like that to me is the, some of the things I'm thinking through is like, yeah. oh man, I don't know how I feel about that. That you even opened a chat GPT like browser window and mm. had it as an idea that you could use it. Like that to me makes me start questioning, Yeah, are you going through this task to synthesize this material and write this paper mm. yourself? Or are you maybe looking at that back door that like, hey, I could probably just ask chat gpt to do it for yeah. me yeah yeah well even even there i would it feels like a different posture to and you how would you know this as an educator but like to open it to have some synthesizing ideas that chat gpt gives you about let's say 
cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. gives you some some information about it and then you utilize that information to develop your own thoughts okay so you're talking about asking chat gpt a question yeah then formulating that response in your own mind and putting it onto mm-hmm. the paper yeah, yeah yeah which is uh, but the reason i think that's an interesting thing to play with is because i feel like we've said in multiple spaces and why neuroscience was a a template or a lens we went to at the end of this last season was it it doesn't for as much as it matters what you do it matters more how you do it yes and really how much of you does it and how much of you is involved in what you're doing (laughs) like so people can you know the again the idea is not chat chat gpt or not it's what is the posture of the people using the chat GPT and how tempting is it to become even more disembodied and unrelational than we already are? Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, what's the difference between that and sitting down with one of your quote unquote smart friends and just like, okay, can you say that again? Like in a yeah, different way? Totally. How do you, okay. What, what about this? Yeah. Like, it's not your knowledge you're putting down on the paper. Yeah, someone else's that then you're regurgitating, mm-hmm. which is not the same to me as taking in 20 different references and trying to see where they all make sense, citing and referencing and doing really well-resourced scholarly work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it produces potentially the same object, which is the fascinating. Like, I keep going back to like the idea that maybe chat GPT is a mirror in some way yeah, to show us how much we are longing and maybe like a disintegrated, I almost want to say like in a Freudian death drive sense, like we're longing to be disembodied. We're longing to be abstracted and broken apart into its most basic binary pieces. And at the same time, look how many cultural movements there are that are seeking non-binary integrated like middle of the spectrum ways of living yeah i think like in both ways we're having this disintegration culturally and this wrestling of those disintegrated parts yeah and chat gpt is showing us the abstracted layer of yeah knowledge and understanding it's fascinating in its multiplicity and I think where I find it coming back to a more groundedness is what does this tell us about the importance of relationships? Yeah. Therapy, again, fundamentally a relational cure or healing modality. So then if I believe in therapy, how do I make sense of these things that are seeking to distance humans from the therapeutic process? Yeah. I don't have an answer, but I'm certainly going to keep an eye on research. Yeah, and have the conversation. Yeah. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the consequences. Mm. Yeah. The implications for our softness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'd be curious if we... Maybe we could play it around in the, in the next year of... As we talk about diagnostic criteria, maybe seeing what, how, how the hell does chat GPT make sense of symptoms mm-hmm. and produce a diagnosis? And how does it, how does it do differential, differential diagnostics? And I'm sure it does it very well. Yeah. Like, which would be so interesting. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it does it very well yeah. because you're asking a question that it was built to answer. You're asking it to compare and contrast varying mm-hmm. Uh, you know, varying fields of content. And it was set up to do just that. So like, that's again where it's like, yeah, like if you're having trouble coming up with a differential diagnosis, which we should talk about more because it's not hard, but like, if that is something that you're, (laughs) maybe doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's all coming from affect dysregulation. (laughs) Like that's just your answer. But for simple questions like that, I'm sure it's going to be excellent yeah, and very articulate and I'm sure well-sided. Hmm. 
But is that the point? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe we're going to be the old farts that people are like, these idiots. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up to the change of future. I felt resonant with the old farts for a long time. Old man and a young man's body. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Mainly because my back hurts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My back, my head. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 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 I'm very excited about the new season. Glad to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, and glad to, again, one thing I hope listeners feel from this episode is that there's no such thing as an unbiased look into any sort of inquiry. Yeah. And in research, you know, it's so important not only to to be human and be curious, but then to also just like be aware of that and to name it and to understand how your curiosity is informing how you look into research, how you research yourself and yeah. make sense of it. And um, this conversation around AI and therapeutics and academia is just like one zone where I think we're laying out our cards and saying like, we're pretty interested in the science of relationships yeah and the healing potential that that maybe that is like where maybe that is the future of these types of conversations where you you just name where you're at Mm. because like you could say i want to do this by hand you know versus i want to do this with a computer Mm. and i feel like there are some of those things now where they're still beautiful you see it in art for instance like there's incredible opportunity and potential in computer graphics and different things like that. And it's just a totally different thing to sit down with your physical materials oh, yeah. and produce something. Mixing. And, yeah, and yeah. The different, like actually applying it with your own hand. Like maybe it'll turn into something like that if there is continued investment in computer generated mm. therapy and treatment plans and conceptualizations Mm -hmm. and things like that. Like, you know, in counselor education, there's virtual reality practicums. Oh, yeah. And different things that people are doing to help prepare them and their students for different scenarios, which are way better, in my opinion, than the made-up, you know, okay, we're going to do a mock session and you play the client and I'm going to play the counselor. Like, those are always so tough for students Mm -hmm. because, like, yeah, it's fake. You know it's fake. Yeah, like, your bodies know it. Your yeah, brains know exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Your whole thing. Why are you smiling so much? <laughs> like, oh, because it's fake. Like, yeah. we're just trying to get a good grade. Do they do it right? Yeah. Like, I understand that. And so in the virtual reality space, I've seen some really compelling presentations where you can change the severity of the presentation in the VR client. And then the counselor responds in real time to an actual responding yeah consciousness like that would have been way better for me personally for sure yeah you know expose me to some things that actually have an end to them where with your made-up presentations it's contradictory and incongruent and Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense so you can only do so much Mm -hmm. but again it's because they're gonna then go talk to another human that's why i want them to have that really thorough experience in education because they're gonna go sit with a human who's Mm -hmm unpredictable regardless of how calculated and otherwise calibrated your ai might be Mm -hmm. yeah Hmm. so anyway (laughs) welcome back (laughs) happy 2023 that's right welcome back to Uh, hopefully this wasn't too much of a a pessimistic (laughs) episode we hold hope. That's I, right. I promise. Unwaveringly. Yes. It just sometimes uh, also shares space with a deep despair of disembodiment. Yeah. You know, yeah. some days the computer, someday the computer will be unplugged. Hmm? You can read into that if you want. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> That's just how it is. <laughs> it's just the way that it is. That's we right. could unplug it. Yeah. But then we've staked a lot of stuff on it. Yeah, we invested a lot. Yeah. Hopefully we can still walk around. Mm. 
No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. No. No, without my GPS. That's right. Well, thank you guys yep. for listening. We'll be back uh, soon with more uh, kind of the second half of our series in Cozyol, Um and then picking up on some diagnostic frameworks. Mm-hmm. What's going on with the DSM, ICD? What the heck are those? Yeah. <laughs> How do we make sense of those? Yep. RDOC. RDOC. Come on. Yeah. Research domain criteria, baby. <laughs> shout out. <laughs> shout out. Subtle shout out to that. Right. Uh, National Institute of Mental Health. I was going to say it. Uh, N-I-M-H. Yeah. NIM. Uh, it's not as easy to say as SAMHSA. No. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I just. Yeah. Anyway. Substance abuse. <laughs> Mental health. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not as easier. To, not as easier. Sorry. Not as easy to say. Easier to remember what it actually means. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 There's a give and take, even in the relationship. To acronyms. Even in acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> Always a give and take. Yeah. I'll let you sip on that. Oh, there it is. Very nice for the super fans. That's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with more. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers. If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, Please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast.